Let me ask you a question to start off this morning, okay? Real simple, real simple question, hard answer, okay? The simple question is this. Are you absolutely sure? Are you absolutely convinced that God loves you? Now, I don't mean that God loves people in general, okay? That's not the question. The question is, are you absolutely convinced that God loves you? Because the answer to that question really determines how you spend your life. It determines how you live each day. It determines, in a real sense, whether you live your life as an insecure, afraid person, or whether you live your life in a way that's secure, feeling that God really does love me, and because of that I have worth, and because of that I can come to Him as the Father who loves me, not as someone who's up there in the sky who whom I'm afraid of and always, uh, you know, just had this fear about all the time. See, we live often, I believe, so many persons, even persons who come to know Jesus Christ, they, they find Jesus Christ and they understand and they experience the freedom that comes in knowing Christ, but so many people go back to the default pattern. And the default pattern is to, is to go back to the place of saying, you know, I'm not really sure, so I'm just going to kind of live life and hope that God loves me. And we live this insecure life really knowing, never knowing if God really loves me, and so we're not really sure about it. You know, I'm reminded of a story that I heard. I don't necessarily think it's true, but I thought it was a good story. Uh, a story that I heard of a while, a while back about a lady who was a person who was real sure, sure that God loved her. She didn't have much resources, and she, she was very, but she had a lot of faith. And so she would go through life, and when something would happen, she would praise God. And she was one of these people, that, I don't know if you've met these people, who are really loud prayers. You know, like, you know, when they pray, they're like really exuberant, really loud. And so she would pray, and she'd go, you know, when something would happen in her life, she'd go, oh, God, thank you so much. And she would do it really loud. And, and she happened to be, you know, it was a neighborhood where the houses were really close together, these little white frame houses she lived in, and, and the walls weren't very uh, thick. And so everybody could hear what she was doing all the time. And right next door to her was this uh, guy who was an atheist. And he kept hearing her do this, you know, something would happen. And she'd go, oh, God, thank you so much, you know, and all this stuff. And, and he's gone, I'm sick and tired. And this atheist was going, I'm sick and tired of this lady hearing her over and over and over again. I'm just going to prove to her that God does not exist. He said, and he's trying to think about how to do it. He says, I know what I'll do. So he goes to the grocery store. He buys a bunch of groceries. He puts them in a bag. And he takes them to her front porch. He says, I know what's going to happen. She's going to come out and she's going to say they're from God. And then I'm going to pop out of the bush. And then I'm going to tell, there is no God. I bought you the groceries. And so he does that. He goes and buys the groceries. He brings them to her front porch. He puts them on the porch. He hides behind the bush. She pops out of them. And she goes, she's going, oh, God, thank you for these groceries that came from you. I don't know where they came from, but they came from you. And, and about that time, the atheist pops out behind the bush. And he looks at her. And he's going, lady, God didn't give you those groceries I did. And she raises her hand and she goes, oh, God, thank you. And he's going like, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, God, thank you so much for bringing me these groceries. And you made the devil pay for it. (laughs) That was a good story. (laughs) 
Now you're awake. Okay, I just had to tell you a story to get you awake this morning. I understand. You know, it's uh, it's you know, the crisp fall morning here in Illinois. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, man, we went from like, whoop, you know, like 90 degrees wearing shorts to some of you still wear shorts. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, to this kind of normal Illinois fall weather, which I wish there would be a little bit more of a, of a, of a you know, space in between there. Anyway. This morning, we're going to look at chapter 4 of Galatians. So if you have your Bible this morning, I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to bring it to church every week. Because we're, that's, what, that's what we're here for, is to look at God's Word, to learn from God's Word, and to praise God. If you don't have a Bible, and you'd like a Bible, we have a bunch of Bibles back on the table, back in the back of the room. And you're more than welcome to not only borrow those during the week, but if you don't have one, to pick one up and take it home with you and use it. We have more, so don't worry about it. We're not going to run out. If we, if we run out, we'll buy more. So uh, there are Bibles back there. There's some NLT translations, NIV translations, some different ones. And you can use those as well. So I encourage you to, uh, to uh, pick one up. This morning we're going to read. I'm going to read, first of all, the first nine verses of chapter 4. That's what we're covering this morning. And then we're going to go back and look and see what these have to say to us about this relationship with God. Now, we've been in, in, in Galatians for the last four weeks. This is our fourth week in Galatians. Uh, we've covered the first three chapters and I know we've, you know, we've not covered them in detail, but, you know, I could actually spend probably six months covering it in detail. I am going to go back and cover part of chapter uh, five later on down the road in another whole series on the fruit of the Spirit. But uh, today what we want to do is look at Galatians chapter four and uh, the first nine verses, which deal with the same thing we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And that is this issue that God says to us that uh, he wants us to live uh, not as people who are bound uh, by the, the bonds of religion, but people who have a relationship with God. And so the first uh, nine verses, uh, in this is the NIV translation, says this. It says, what am I saying? What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you who... uh, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made, has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? This morning we're going to look at this whole thing because Paul, this is another, the same thing that Paul has talked about so far in the last few weeks. The first four chapters of Galatians are kind of what I would call his, his, um, his thesis, his understanding, his, uh, uh, understanding of what it means, the, the basic thing of living, the difference between living as a slave or as a person who is bound by religion versus a person who is, uh, who is in a relationship with God. He contrasts these two throughout these first four chapters. The last two chapters, which we're going to spend four weeks on starting next week, really deal with some very basic, uh, what it means to live out in this freedom that Christ calls us to live. More practical things. But I think there's a lot of practical things here today as well. 
You know, I don't know about you, but the fact is, as I look around the world today, especially in America, that's where we live, and so that's what I know, but the fact is, is religious people so often have gotten a bad reputation. Is that true? You think religious people in general in our culture have a great reputation or a bad reputation? Well, in the news media, I'd say we have a bad reputation because uh, they see us in so many ways, and maybe sometimes rightfully so, because we have not been talking about, Paul is talking about not being religious. We talked about the first week being set free from religion, that religion is not about, it's not about a religion. Christianity is not about religion, which is rules and rituals and following those things, but Christianity is about a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that relationship with God that we're talking about here, and that's what Paul is writing about in Galatians, because, you know, sometimes, you know, the word religion and the whole term of religion has gotten a bad rap. And, and Paul actually says in Galatians, he says, well, this is what he says in the first, the first verse, first three verses. He says, religion, in a sense, equals uh, slavery. He said if you're, if you're basically dealing with religion and the religion being rules and rituals and following those as a way of getting connected with God, guess what? It's not what, we're, what God is all about. It's religion equals a slave. In Galatians 1, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, once again, which we just read a minute ago, this is what he says. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Now, what is that saying? He's a child, and he has things. He's not a slave, but he says he's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, we have to understand a little bit of the cultural context here because the thing was, in that time, in that day and age, in Jewish culture, and we talked about this last week, we said there were these people called pedagogues. Everybody remembers what pedagogues was, right? That was a bus driver, right? No. It was, it was the people who were the people that took the kids to school. And y'all said we're bus drivers. No, it's not more than that. It's a person who is entrusted with the, with getting the kids to have, help them to get educated. It's kind of like a tutor, a uh, helper, uh, a person who helps them along. Basically, in that culture, what would happen is the wealthier persons would have these people, and what they would do is that when they would, the, the father would determine when the child is old enough to become Heir to to get the property to be to be actually have all the benefits of being a child of the father, but up until that point, they really had no real freedom. The child had no real freedom at all in, in themselves. What they did, they were really you know the slave had no freedom. The child had no freedom because they had to live within the boundaries of. He was subject to it says to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And then it says this in verse 3, So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. Now, what is he talking about here? He's saying basically this. It says, while we, uh, like, we're like children, that even though we come to know God, the thing is, is that when we, we're, we're captive until we understand the freedom and, and live in the freedom of Christ, we're captive to the principles of this world. You know, it says in Colossians 2.8, it says this, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through the basic principles of this world. Same thing you talked about there, uh, rather than on Christ. 
What are the religious principles of this world? We've already talked about these already. The religious principles of the world. The things that how do you, how do you, in a sense, how do you get connected with God? The religious principles of this world that, that every religion except Christianity deals on is these. Let me give you three of them real quickly. In order to please God, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. In order to please God, I've got to do more. You know, I've got to uh, read my Bible more. I've got to serve more. I've got to pray more. I mean, it's like, you know, it's about this, this rules and regulations and, and doing all these things out of guilt or out of, out of ought to. I've got to do these things. I've got to do more. And we never know, this is what Paul's been talking about in the first three chapters of Galatians, you never know what's enough. And so we always have this tension in our life, and that's the, the religious principles of this world. We have this, these things in our life where we think we've never done enough, and so we always have this anxiety in our life. I've got to do more. Secondly, I have to do, and you fill in the blank, I have to do this. I have to go to church. I mean, some of you, I, I hate to say this this morning. I'll just go ahead and say it. You know, some of you are here this morning because you feel like, you know, to, to please God, I've got to go to church. I'm glad you're here. But going to church doesn't please God. God loves you. That's what Paul is saying. God loves you. He chooses to love you regardless of anything else. Before it says, while you were still a sinner. While you didn't go to church. He doesn't love you more because you go to church. Or less, the reason that you should do these things, the religious things, is not because you're trying to please God. That's the religious principles of this world. It's, it's the whole thing of, of I, do, I don't do it because I have to do more. It's that I, that I do it because I do it in response to God's love. I mean, I want to gather with God's people. And I want to worship God. And I want to honor Him. Not to please God. But in a real sense, just to say, God, I love you. I mean, that's what we do. We want to be around people we love, right? Most of the time. I'm not going there. Even people we love get on our nerves. God is a different person, though. God is a father. He's perfect in every way. So we have this another religious principle. I have to do this. Go to church. I have to give 10%. I mean, those are all good things to do, but we don't do them to please God. Another thing in order to please God, it's on the other end of that, is I can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, I can't go to, or I can't listen to that kind of music. You know, I mean, years ago, there was this, and there's still debates going on about, you know, this is, I don't know if you knew this back here, this is one of the most evil instruments, satanic instruments of all time, according to some people. I mean, there's, you're looking at me like, what? Yeah, I mean, there's a debate for years about drums in the church. I wouldn't point to the guitar, by the way. It's not quite as evil. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, this, and I went through all this stuff. You know, I can't do that. I can't listen to that kind of music because that's Satan music. I mean, there's, there's groups. If you lead, if you look at some of these cult groups and you read recently about the guy, the crazy guy that, you know, that's in prison now and all this stuff that went on. I mean, he had all these crazy rules, certain colors they couldn't wear. I guess, you know, certain colors were devil colors and other colors weren't. And, and, and they had all this stuff going on. But even, even if we don't go that far, we have sometimes, well, I can't do that because I'm, because I'm trying to please God. You know, I can't go to that show or I can't listen to that kind of music or I can't. Do... And in a real sense, that was what Paul was dealing with here as we've looked at the first three chapters. If you missed them, you go back and listen to the podcast. The first three chapters of Galatians, he was dealing with this group called the Judaizers. 
The Judaizers were people who said, hey, it's all right to love Jesus Christ, but you have to add some stuff to it as well. To please God, you've got to act Jewish. You've got to do the Jewish stuff. You have to go through Jewish, all the rituals that Jewish do. And, and, and you know, things like, you know, circumcision. <clears throat> I, I love the story about two 12-year-old boys who were talking about circumcision. You ever heard that story? I, I thought it was a great story. I hope you get it. Um, there's two 12-year-old boys talking about circumcision, and one of them came to him and said his friend, and he's going like, man, my parents told me I had to be circumcised, 12 years old, and never had done. And, uh, and, the, and he said, I'm not really sure what the whole deal about. He didn't know really what it was. If, if you're hearing your kids, you can describe it to them later and tell them all about it. You know, they'll have all these questions. It's all right. You need to learn about that stuff if you're in here, you know, about it. But, but the thing is, is that uh, this one 12-year-old kid, you know, said, okay, so the other kid looks at him and says, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, the other 12-year-old looks at him, the kid has, that his parents told me I had to be circumcised. And he said, well, my, my mom, my dad told me that I was circumcised uh, when, I was, uh, when I was eight days old. And he said, it must have been painful because I couldn't walk for a whole year. <laughs> if you don't get it, talk to the persons who laughed and they will get it for you, okay? So anyway... Uh, <laughs> Why did I tell that story? I don't know. But the issue is, the issue is, is that, you know, we have these, the Paul is saying here in, in, in Galatians, he's saying we, we, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. We're in slavery to those because those are the principles that we live by and it causes us to be in bondage because we never know if we've done enough. But Paul's saying that the good news is, is that it's not about religion. It's not about rules and rituals. He said Christianity is about relationship. It's about this relationship. And it says that in a sense, it's, this is the formula. Relationship equals, you know, being a son of God, a child of God. It says in verses 4 and 5, it says this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of what? Of sons, of children. He's saying that we don't have to live any under these rules and rituals, this uncertainty, this insecurity in our world. What we need to do is we now have the opportunity because Christ has come and he's redeemed us. And that word redeemed, go to the next slide. The word redeemed uh, means this. It's, it comes from a Greek word. It means to ransom and to purchase or to set free. That's what it means. It's, it says when Christ came... He set us free from these rules, these regulations that was the way that had been up to that point of, of relating to God. And he allowed us to be free in a way that we had never been free before so that we might understand and receive the full rights of sons, of children of God. See, Christ purchased our freedom so that we, have to, so that we don't have to live like slaves but like a child of God. Well, this morning, I want to, the last couple of minutes, a few minutes we have here, I want to talk about what that means in reality. What is the difference between living as a slave and living as a son? Because most of us don't think we live as slaves, but we can fall back into a pattern because that's what it talks about here, and Paul talks about here in verses 8 and 9 of this chapter as well. Let me give you, I'm going to give you three comparisons of what it means to be the difference between a slave and a son, a slave or a child of God. Number one, the slave is driven by duty. The slave is driven by duty, where the son is driven by devotion. 
I've said this over and over, and Paul said this over and over again in Galatians. He said the reason you know, the, the slave is driven by the duty, by trying to obey the rules because that's the only thing he can do. But the son has a different motivation. The motivation is to express is to express love back to the father. It's a response to what the father has already done in the, in the child's life. In, in John fourteen fifteen, it says, "If you love me, you will obey what I command." It's a response of love back to God. Not if if I can get close to you, God, I'll, I'll obey what you command because I want you to like me more. It says, "If you love me," the response of love is to follow Christ. It's done out of devotion. I remember um, a few years ago going to, I go to a lot of pastor's conferences. <laughs> Duh. You know, uh, you, that's kind of, you know, some of your business, go to business conferences. I go to pastor's conferences. Whatever you might be, teachers, go to teacher's conferences, whatever they may be. The issue is, is I go to a lot of them. And I remember one year, and this was one, this was a co- conference out on the West Coast. And, um, uh, uh, I remember somebody saying there at that conference that was talking about the different regions that people live in. Do you know what the most churched regions in America are in order? The most church region, I mean, people that go to church are where? The south, where I used to live. The next most church region is where? Right here, the Midwest. Not very far from the south. Very close. The next most church is, is probably the uh, New England states, and the least church reason, region is some parts of the West, especially the, the Northwest. And so we happen to be in certain areas. Seattle, Seattle is one of the most unchurched towns in the whole cities in the whole United States. Least number of people, percentage go to church. Uh, but I remember at this conference, a pastor saying, uh, saying this, or a, a speaker saying, he said, you know, it's probably easier to do church in the South and the Midwest because so many people are churched. And some of us Southerners, I was Southerner at the time, uh, raised up in arms and said, hey, you don't live in that environment. You don't know what you're talking about. And it's it, it, not so. You know those statistics versus in the church regions in the South and the Midwest versus the other ones in regards to divorce, suicide, um, and you just name all the all the the, the other uh, teenage pregnancies. You know what those? If if religion had a if if churched people, if they had a greater impact, should it be better in those regions? Should the the percentages of divorced teenage pregnancy suicide be lower in church regions than unchurched regions? It's not. It's not. So what does that mean? The reality is sometimes. You know, so often we are relig- we live in religious regions, not necessarily Christian regions. We have this instead of instead of relational, uh, you know. And we and a lot of people. How many of you got a flu shot? Anybody here got a flu shot yet this year? Anybody here? Okay, I'm get I'm gonna get one this week. I have grandkids, that's why I'm getting one. I usually don't do it, but I'm getting get one this year. Last year, year four, flu shot. What when you get a flu shot? What is it or a shot? What does it do for you? What do they do to you? They give you what? A little bit of the real thing to inoculate. At least that's what I understand. Okay, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. Anyway, they give you a little bit of the real thing in most immunizations to inoculate you against the real thing. They give you just a little bit to inoculate you of the real thing, to inoculate you against the real thing. See, I believe the problem is, is a lot of people in the Midwest and the South are inoculated against Christianity. 
We have just a little bit of that because we could go to church and we, and we check our boxes off, go to church, you know, give, do this, do that. The religious stuff, and what Paul's talking about, the religious rituals of this world. And we do that, but our heart is not submitted fully to Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't really change us. And I would say, in a sense, that it becomes even tougher in those regions because so many people think that things are all right. I come to understand recently, I played tennis for 20 years indoors, every week for 20 years before I moved, to the, moved here. I, I did it every, every week. And I thought I played pretty good tennis. I did. I thought I was a stud. You know, I could really play some tennis, you know, because I played for 20 years every week indoors. And then I didn't quit, quit playing for a while. And then recently, the last year, year and a half, I've been playing again. I uh, got back in with one of the guys, uh, one of the families that go to church. They're not here this morning. They're actually at a tennis match in Bloomington this morning. Their daughter and their son, and all of them play tennis. And, 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 and uh, the guy who's uh, there, the father, he is really good at helping at, you know, helping me to uh, play. And so he's basically asking me to go out and play. Well, he's not really playing with me. What he's doing, he's teaching me how to play again. Because I realized something. Now, I thought I knew how to play all those years. I was doing just enough. You know, I was playing tennis, but I wasn't hitting the ball correctly. and doing. So he's had to go and undo all the stuff that I'd messed up for 20 years to get me to play the way I should be playing. And I'm so thankful. Man, it's been grueling, though. I mean, you know, Thursday morning, early, early in the morning playing tennis out there, I, mean, I was just beat to death after hitting like 200 forehands and 200 backhands and running back and forth and all over. You know, for a 57-year-old guy, it's a lot of work. But the issue is, is that, you know, I thought that I was good enough. I was just good enough because I'd done it. But I come to find out, well, I really wasn't doing it correctly. And, and so, so often, see, I think in a sense we have so many people that, that live in the churched regions that think things are good enough because they, they live this kind of religious ritual thing, check off the boxes. And, and so when you think you're doing it well enough, you don't really look for the real thing and you, you wonder what, you've got to be more, but we don't understand that. And so, see, the slave is driven by duty. The son is driven by devotion. That's the first, first thing. There's a difference. It's a difference in how you approach it. Secondly, the second thing I see in Scripture is the son has no resources. The son has no resources. And this, I mean, the slave has no resources, and the son has the resources of the father. It says in Galatians 4, 7, You are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also what? Heir. It means you, you have access to everything that's God's. You ever thought about that? What that means? In your life, in my life, what it means to have access to everything that's God's? See, because of that, you approach God. Knowing that, how do you approach? Does that change the way you approach God? Yeah, it does. You can approach God with what? Confidence. It says, come before the throne with what? Confidence. Come before God's throne because you are a son. Not because you are perfect or, or, or things are right, but because he's chosen to make you a son. Christ has redeemed you, has paid the price for you. You know, it's kind of like our kids, you know, do, do, do people, do you treat your kids differently than you do other people's kids? Yeah. I come to find out, I, you know, I, I treat my kids, I've got grandkids now to come to learn something. You treat your kids differently. I'm doing something now that I never do, I hate doing. 
But every Friday morning, my wife, we keep our grandkids, our two grandkids. And every Friday, and I'm off that day. It's a fun day off. It really is. Okay, I'm not being, you know, negative. Um, it's, it's a challenging day every Friday. But every Friday morning recently, my wife has looked at me and said, "Hun, would you drive around the neighborhood and see if there's yard sales? Because we're going, you know what we're looking for? Clothes for, you know, I mean, clothes for, for preschoolers, you know, little kids. And kids' toys. Every Friday morning, I go out, drive around, around 8 o'clock when all of them open up around your neighborhoods, looking for clothes. I would ne- I hate yard sales. I despise yard sales. I don't even like going to the mall, which is organized yard sale. But the issue is, the issue is, is I do it because I love, I wouldn't do it for your kids. Would you do it for your kid, for my kids? No. I mean, like, unless you like yard sales, let me know. I'll send you on a mission. But I do that for my grandkids because I love them and I have a relationship with them and I treat them. They, you know, I would do anything for them. Every Friday morning I come back with something. You know? And that's the way it is with our kids. And see, we, 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 our kids, when, when we love them and we have this relationship with them, they're, they're, our resources are their resources. I would do anything for my kids. Now, not hurtful. I'm not going to give them stuff. It's going to be stupid, but I, but I'm going to, but I, but I will do anything for them. That's what, what it's saying here. The difference between the slave, the person who lives this ritualistic kind of like, please God, check the box type life says they have no resources. They don't understand they have any resources, but the person who has a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, that son, that son, there is a son and that son has resources, the resources of the father. Thirdly, the Bible says, I think here, that the third contrast is the slave has a master and the son has a father. It's a totally different relationship. It says, because, verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts and the, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That word Abba, Father is interesting because you know what that word translated literally means, Abba? What do you call your your now, I understand this. I realize this. Some of you grew up with, with dysfunctional families. And so your image of father is not necessarily a good one. And I'm sorry for that. But we're talking about God who is the perfect father. If you could imagine the perfect father in every way in the kind of relationship. I, had a good, I have a good father. We have a good relationship. I call him daddy. Dad now. A little older, you know. But for many years. Some of them call him Papa. You have this kind of special, it's, it's kind of a warm, kind of a familiar type relationship. That's kind of what the word is, Papa, Daddy. It's saying the Spirit who lives in our life lets us understand who God is in such a way that we can call out to Him, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. See, when we understand we have that relationship, it changes everything. It's because God is that perfect Father. Because we have, once again, I have a different relationship with my kids than I have with anybody else. I'll never forget one day that I was, and years ago when I was in Virginia and my daughter Kara, who's now 29 years old, wow. Um, you know, I, it seemed like yesterday she was still like the little kid on the knee. And I'll tell you, fa- fa- parents who have little kids, it'll just fly by before you know it. So take advantage of the time. Just a warning. It will. Don't work too much. Spend time with your kids. Focus on relationships because it'll never be the same again. That's just extra. It has nothing to do with the sermon, okay? But I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that now. 
It never becomes the same. But I remember when my daughter was like five or six years old, maybe four or five years old, actually. We were, we were out in Virginia at, uh, at the grocery store. And we're going down there. And Kara is, um, Kara was kind of child still is, that uh, nobody's a stranger. I mean, she would be the one to, you know, yell, don't talk to strangers, you know. And she would go, hey, you! Everybody going down the aisle and stuff like that, you know. But there was this one lady who came up to us, and she went to our church, and she was a little bit different. Yeah, she was a little bit different. Okay, uh, enough said. Uh, she was a little dysfunctional. And um, she comes up to me, and she's always going, Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill! You know, and she's always just, and she could see me across the grocery store and yell at me and go like, Oh, no, not her again. <laughs> and she came up to me, and she goes, Oh, Pastor Bill, this is your little girl. And she's going, I'm going, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, and she's going like, oh, and she looks at this little, I think, five-year-old. She goes, what's it like living in Pastor Bill's home? And, you know, Kara was speechless for the first time in her life. And, and she really didn't answer. And she said, it must be so wonderful. And after she, after, I remember after the lady finally left, um, Kara looked at me and she goes, Dad, what's that one talking about? Who's Pastor Bill? <laughs> she said, your daddy. See, my kids have a different relationship with me than everybody else does. I'm sorry, folks. You'll never have the same relationship with me that my kids have. Just the way it is. But the thing is, is that See, God wants us to relate to him as our, heaven, as our heavenly father, as our papa, as our daddy. And the sad thing is, is that so many experience the freedom of knowing Christ, of coming to Christ, and then they choose to step back into this bondage of religion, of rules and rituals, and thinking that I can't be good enough for God to love me, that I have to earn God's love. And you know how I know that happens in Christians' lives? It's when people lose their joy. You ever seen Christians that lose their joy? I mean, man, some people, the longer they're Christians, the sadder their face looks. And, 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 you know, this morning, you know, if you're that kind of person, you came in this morning, you're going like, what did they do with my chair? (laughs) They messed the chairs up. They're not like they were last week. I did it on purpose. Just to make you uncomfortable. Because it doesn't matter what seat you sit in. I'm sorry, you have no reserved seats here. Right? Yeah. See, that's what happened in the very well-known story in Luke 15. You can go back. You can actually have all the things that the Father wants to give you. And you can go back and, and live as a slave. And I just want to close with this because it's, it's a quick recap. In Luke 15, there's a story. It's, it's well-known. It's called the parable of the lost son. And there was two sons in the story. And one decided they had both of them were, were sons who had come to the place in life where they're old enough. The father said, hey, you are full sons now. And one of them came to him and said, Father, what I did is I want to have my inheritance now and I want to take off and do my own thing. And so he took off and the story is he did his own thing. And when he did his own thing, uh, he, 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 uh, he, experienced, he experienced some fun. Sin is fun for a while. And then it said he came to his senses. 
And when he came to his senses, what happened was he was found himself in a field eating, eating pods that even pigs wouldn't eat. You know, he was eating the same, he was eating pig food. Literally. And he's going, what have I done? He said, I need to go back to my father. I need to ask his forgiveness. And this is what he says in Luke 15, verse 19. He says, the son, he says, the son knows he's not worthy. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And what was the response of the father in that story, if you know that story? Yeah, you'd be a hired guy. No, that's not what the response of the father was. The father, who in this story is God... The father, in a real sense, is representing God. The father said, my son finally gets it. He can't, you can't possibly measure up and, and do all the stuff and check all the boxes and be good enough to be in relationship with me. You are my son because I choose to let you be my son. The father said, hey, you don't have to live like a hired person. Live in the freedom of a son. But the other son, the second son, he falsely believes he's worthy. He's, in a sense, a slave to his own misunderstanding. Because this is what he says in verse 29, the second son. The son who stayed home, who followed all the rules and the regulations, who always did everything right. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Interesting words, slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Why? Because I wanted to be, uh, it's all about rules and regulations. And I want to make sure, Father, that you love me because I followed all the rules. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And how did the father respond to him? If you look at the story, you can go back and read. The father says, son, you have had everything all these years right there at your disposal. You don't have to earn my love. You have chosen to live as a slave. See, the older brother thought it was tied to performance, the father's love. The younger brother learned that it was tied to relationship. Let's go back to Galatians 4, the last two verses, verse 8 and 9. This is what Paul said. This is the key thing here, folks. This is so important for today. And we close with this. It says, Galatians 4 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, you have this relationship with God. How is it that you're returning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? I hope you get this. God wants you and me to know that rules and regulations do not lead to his love. He chooses to love us like a perfect father. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that is make a way to, to wipe out, to redeem, to, to pay the penalty for the sins that we have. Because we'll never be able to do enough to measure up to a perfect and holy God. But in doing that, what He's done, He's given us the opportunity to live in freedom, to live as sons and daughters of God.
But we can choose, even once we become believers, to go back and to follow those old, and he calls them weak and miserable principles, which enslave us and cause us us to lose our joy and to have no security. And you talk about a miserable life. It's not the life that God has for you and for me. He says to us this. This is what he says. God says in his word. He says, empty yourself of yourself to realize you cannot measure up. Just just admit that. And accept through faith the gift I want to give to you. And in doing so, you can have freedom unimaginable. And the response that you will have to that freedom, if you truly experience that freedom, is to follow God and to to seek Him out and to honor Him and to obey Him. But it's in response to His love, not to get His love. Do you understand the difference? That's the whole key that Paul's talked about over and over and over again in Galatians. And the next four weeks we're going to talk about, once we come to that point, how does that look to live that life in freedom? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.